0: This week on Hangar Talk, a tornado devastates John Toon Airport in Nashville.
1: DPEs listening, we need a little bit more of your time. Also,
0: Cessna 210 owners looking out for a new AD.
1: Let's find out the latest about ride-sharing concepts. And
0: also the latest from the coronavirus. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. 1056, turn right heading final with your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulis. This
1: is Hangar
0: Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, our guest this week, I mentioned we're going to be talking about the coronavirus. Now, we're going to finish up with that with our guest. That's Carl Valeri. Carl's an airline pilot, but I think more importantly, he also does the Aviation Careers podcast and some career counseling.
1: And he's got some great tips for dealing with any kind of a virus, and he's also a very positive attitude for career pilots.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, let's start with actually some just awful news, and if you've seen the photos, you know what I'm talking about here. John Tune Airport outside of Nashville, reliever for Nashville, just absolutely devastated by a tornado on March 3rd. Now this went through. Obviously, killed 24 people in Nashville. Very sad. But at the airport, total, total devastation.
1: That's right, Ian. And it is a key reliever airport to Nashville. A lot of musicians have their aircraft there, and we're talking everything from smaller aircraft that um, I'm more familiar with, like uh, you know, even up to a, a Cirrus model. But now we also have quite a few jets that were parked there, and some King Airs and things like that, because a lot of folks use that as a way to get in and out of Nashville.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, usually with these things, obviously with tornadoes, you worry about maybe airplanes that are tied down or chalked down or something like that outside. But here it's like it just destroyed hangars. I mean, Randy Harmon, who owns Harmony Air, he said uh, he got a phone call and said the fuel trucks were on fire. Uh, And you can see evidence of fire there in the photos. So just just total, total devastation.
1: It was. And I need to have a shout out to my buddy Harrison McClary, who provided us not only with photos, but with video as well and Harrison was doing some wire service work, and he was on the other side of town the morning of the tornadoes, and uh, And our hearts go out to Harrison and other Nashville residents who had to live through this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're hoping for a big recovery there in, in Nashville, and we're all thinking about you because, boy, could happen to anybody, really. So, yeah, best to them. Tornado season
1: is, is upon us, and, I mean, you think yeah. about it, uh, March and April are pretty high-time months for tornadoes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hey, moving on, DPEs, you know, we just think you should get in gear and work a little bit harder.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, there's a huge bottleneck, Ian, and uh, this is something that's become a more serious concern in the aviation industry. And really what it's resulted in is you know a lot of folks are ready to take their check rides and they just can't get it scheduled.
0: Yeah. Now, I think I think we've talked about this in past years. You know, the FAA a couple of years ago, they did a bit of a house cleaning with the DPE ranks you know, they, they tightened up the rules. They kicked a bunch out that maybe weren't doing things totally kosher. And so what resulted was, even when things were slower than they are now, what resulted was a real shrink of, of supply, DPE supply. And so people, you know, prices were going up. People were waiting longer for tests. So now you've got that with, obviously, an explosion in training. And um, it's bad news out there.
1: That's a good analogy. And, you know, a lot of folks are waiting for a practical test about a month you know, or more. And that causes flight training providers to, I guess I kind of have to sit on their hands and wait until that crop of potential pilots, you know, is out the door before new folks can come back in.
0: Yeah. So now this all started from the Flight School Association of North America. They published an open letter saying, DPEs, you do one more test a week, we can clear this backlog. Now, of course, a lot of these folks, they have full-time jobs, right? Um, yes. they airline pilots, charter pilots, whatever. And so they're just doing tests when they can. So um, it's not going to be easy to help here.
1: But there's some interesting facts if you look at the numbers. So if uh, 900 of the approximately 950 examiners who give practical tests, each gave an extra test a week, that equates to more than 46,000 additional tests in a year, which is a pretty big number. And so, you know, that would be about a 50% increase in tests given based on the 2018 statistics.
0: Mm, yeah. So it might be a little bit wishful thinking to hope that 900 DPEs can do one because, you know, you're talking half a day, right? I mean, to do a practical test.
1: Oh, yeah. Several hours for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you're you, boy, man, the fees, you know, you're talking also about like a thousand bucks for some of these tests, which I don't know, you know, I'm going to date myself here and sound like, you know, oh, in the good old days. but. I don't know 250 300 bucks I feel like I paid for a test maybe
1: It was 350 or 375 for my private yeah for yeah. sure for sure but I've got I got to save up this year Ian I didn't tell you but you know one of my goals this year is to get my instrument rating so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I'm uh, beginning work on that and seriously and so I need to save up for that check ride.
0: Yeah 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 I'm going to see you you know taking a second job somewhere in town to be that's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, as we said, the Flight School Association of North America sort of uh, started the call on this and AOPA is, is behind it. But yeah, the idea is DBs, you know, you know, it takes time to train them up. Uh, we need more. But in the meantime, if do whatever you can to maybe take another one. So, hey, moving on, the 210 this is an airplane we don't talk about very often. Obviously, it hasn't been in production in quite some time. And uh, they had an accident down in Australia that has resulted in a wing spar AD, a pretty serious one.
1: And the Cessna 210... Is a, it's got the cantilever wing design. It looks like a, a Cessna Cardinal 177. It's got the same kind of a look. And that is something that you and I were just talking about before the show that, you know, this is a big airplane as far as a single engine. It's a people moving type airplane. Mm-hmm. So it does carry some weight and it's got a pretty high performance engine. So I'm just wondering if that stress, that weight, might have something to do with it. But we found out a little bit more during some of our research that there was some anti corrosion that was not applied during manufacture of that airplane so there are some surfaces that didn't have this corrosion protection
0: yeah and you know the the accident airplane was a uh, i think aerial survey so you think ah uh, maybe it's higher time lower in turbulence that sort of thing which th- you know this can happen with certain working airplanes but no actually they they went back through and uh, some of the community did inspections and they faa say, was saying they found reports widespread across many different 210 models. And so when you're looking at that kind of a widespread problem, it's like the AD, you're, you, it's kind of inevitable you're gonna have one.
1: And that's um, fatigue cracking that folks need to look out for. And listen, there's a, the AD requires a one-time visual inspection of specified areas on the carry-through spar lower cap. And you can use an eddy current inspection for this, which is something that I'm familiar with, Ian, because the Mooney I had had a heart cell propeller that needed an eddy current inspection every year. Yeah. Well, on the propeller, at least, it wasn't that hard to do. And I you know, watched and learned a little bit.
0: Yeah. So this has to happen within 60 days of the AD's effective date or in the next 20 hours in service. So, yeah, make sure you're on top of that. 210 owners. Hey, David, now this is something that that you've done some reading on and and something that I think every private pilot hopefully should know about and and thinks about, which is cost sharing. You know, you you go into flight training and you think, oh, man, it's like I can take all my friends anywhere I want to go. They can buy all the gas and everything else. But as you quickly learn, there are restrictions on that. And the FAA recently has put out a new advisory circular that details some of these restrictions.
1: The advisory circular is specifically for for higher air transportation. We're talking about advisory circular FAR 61.113. And basically, uh, we're looking at how to split the cost of flying friends and family or, you know, uh, folks who want to go out with you in the morning or the afternoon, go somewhere and maybe grab dinner, grab lunch, things like that. And there are some very strict regulations that you need to adhere to or you will be actually making money on the deal, and that is prohibitive on a couple of fronts.
0: Yeah. So this can get really confusing. So let's let's back up as high as we can go here. The idea is there is pilot certification, and then there's kind of operation certification, right? So to be paid as a pilot, you know, you got to have a commercial pilot certificate. But then you can't just have a commercial pilot certificate, depending on the operation. You may have to have an operating certificate. And so with this, the FAA goes into some detail about, okay, let's say you're not flying for hire, right? So let's say you're a private pilot. What is it that you can reasonably charge? And, and more importantly, and I think the thing that you really want to read the AC to understand is how can you do it? So you and I know it's like you rent an airplane, you buy gas, whatever, You you bring one buddy along he or she can give you half the cost, right? The rental's a hundred bucks. They can give you 50 bucks. That seems pretty clear. The challenging part is how do you know this person and how did they get on the airplane in the first part?
1: Yeah. And with online services and apps and things like that, it's a lot easier to put the word out and then have someone share the cost with you. The FAA in this advisory has they have pointed out some really interesting examples of what not to do. Basically, what when you're doing it the wrong way, it's called holding out, which I guess yeah. means holding out for money.
0: Yep. So that is that's charter, right? If you're holding out, you're doing charter. And the basic idea is, you, If you advertise to anybody, you know, put your name in the paper or whatever, that's holding out. And so you want to avoid holding out if you don't have an operator certificate.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned something a minute ago, Ian, that's something that's a little bit hard to wrap my head around. But there's two, like you said, it's separate privileges for operating versus piloting. That's two mm-hmm. different things. And so, you know, with a lot of the charter operations, you really need Basically, you need procedures. You need safety procedures, emergency procedures. You need a book that explains you know, how things are going to go from A to Z. Uh, and, of course, accounting procedures as well. So there's a lot more to it than just saying, hey, I'm a commercial pilot. Let's go.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So interestingly, you know, I think the FAA, because this is such a complicated concept, and they want people to get this right, they put in some examples here. And let's go through a couple of these because some of them are really surprising.
1: I like the examples.
0: Yeah, they're good. So let's talk about scale first, right? So you mentioned, like, putting the name online or whatever. So there's one test of holding out, and that is, are you doing it to a lot of people or a few people? And so they give some examples there.
1: That's right. Speaking of holding out, all right, looking at uh, one example here, Fred, he's a private pilot. And he flies to Orlando once a week from Chicago. And he visits family. Everyone in the community knows that Fred flies to Orlando on any given weekend. And if they want to tag along, they just need to talk to Fred and he'll fly them there for their prorated share of the expenses. So he doesn't advertise that he's going, just people in the neighborhood know. Ian, do you think that he's considered to be holding out or not holding out for his flying services?
0: Well, I tell you an hour ago before I read this I would have said I would have said no it's like just because my neighbor knows that I'm flying to Florida and comes up to me and says hey I got to go to Florida I'll give you half the cost I would have thought yeah no problem let's go
1: but he is in fact holding out cuz he's established a course of conduct that that basically he's going every week and you just need to tag along
0: Yep. That one surprised me.
1: And that's a pretty good trip, too. So yeah. I think about going, you know, flying on a commercial airline from Chicago to Florida. I mean, it's pretty good chunk of change there. Should we look at another one?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to talk about the scale because that one, th- this is where I think really what originated all this. I, if you remember a couple of years ago, I think it was one of the groups, it's like they were talking about flying to a fly-in, right? And they thought, okay, well, maybe if we put up a web board, we can match people who are coming to our fly-in – with people who want to come to the fly in and all they are is it's like a it's like a dating service, right? It's like they've got people with airplanes and they got people who want to go in airplanes and they were just matching them together. But FAA says, nope, you can't do that. That is holding out.
1: And that's holding out because well, first of all, you have to buy you have to get the app somehow. Then the app's going to be available to a lot of people, right, Ian? Mm-hmm. So if you're connecting uh, A to B to C, yeah, you know, the a- app's there, and you got a lot of people that are looking at the app. So kind of in a way, you're more or less advertising.
0: Yeah, and I thought that that it was really interesting because I, it's like that makes sense to me. Okay, that's holding out. You're right. You're like, hey, who wants to come with me? And and you put your message out to you know the world. The thing that really surprised me though is they were saying you know, here you go, you've got, you You are at the Frederick Airport, right? And you want to fly to, are flying in Rochester. So you put a note on the bulletin board at the Frederick Airport and you say, hey, going to Rochester, uh, I'll, you know, throw in 50 bucks for gas if you want to come. Is that holding out?
1: Well, you're putting me on the spot, Ian, like I often do to you, but let's analyze that. It's a smaller venue. It's a post-it note on a bulletin board at the Airways Cafe And the FAA says such an advertisement may be acceptable as long as it targets a limited and defined audience. So that is not holding out. That's legit.
0: Yeah. And so this thing, I I mean, this is why I think you just got to read the AC. You know, maybe you got to hire a lawyer every time you ask somebody to give you money. I don't know. But it's (laughs) like there are so many different, you know, it's like there's holding out. There's the crowd size that you're, you know, quote unquote, holding out to. There's the factor of do you actually know these people or are you expected to know these people? I, the whole thing I just find really interesting and, and a lot more granularity than we've had in the past
1: it is and it's actually a really good circular I, I did read it front to back and it was it was one of the few that captured my attention the whole way <laughs> and uh, you know they use some other examples like if you're at a, on a college campus and you you know you post if you post the same thing on a college campus what we we're just talking about yeah you know that would be considered holding out because that's to a very broad audience yeah and that's that's one of the examples that's in this uh, circular
0: yeah but if you go back to your dorm room and you've got three friends there, and you're like, "Hey, you want to go with me?" That's not holding. Not out. holding out. That's yeah, that's
1: right. Advisory Circular sixty one one forty two. Take a look.
0: Yeah. So I should say, please, any lawyers listening, don't email us. We don't. You know, we're not lawyers. It's like we <laughs> we're all we're doing we're pilots reading the AC just like everybody else. That's but yeah, right. That, that's that's the understanding. So definitely read it for yourself. All right, hey, let's spend a couple minutes. We got to talk about coronavirus. It's obviously what everybody in the world really is talking about these days. And of course, there are impacts to aviation. Let's start maybe with the shows. Aero Friedrichshafen, the show that happens every April in Germany, a big one, probably the biggest GA show in Europe. That has been postponed, they say. So that's a big deal.
1: Aero over in Germany is a pretty big deal in Europe. And now here in the States, we're all looking forward to Sun and Fun. Sun and Fun organizers say the show will go
0: on. Yes. As of today, as we're recording this, yep, the show will go on. So it'd be really interesting, I think, to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. It's like, you can't just think about the show and what they're willing to do. It's like, are exhibitors willing to show up? So that is, we'll have to see. That'll be kind of interesting to see what happens. One of the other aviation aspects, you did a great story on, on Phoenix Air. Folks may remember that name from the Ebola crisis, but a really interesting outfit they've got there.
1: That's right, Ian. I had a great chat with Dent Thompson. Dent Thompson and Mark Thompson operate out of Cartersville, Georgia, and they put together a specialized airlift for folks dealing with medical emergencies and contagious diseases. It's really fascinating how they got into this. They really started with other government contracts. And as you mentioned, by the time the Ebola crisis got going, the Thompsons had developed, basically through an STC, they developed a way that a Stream could evacuate one person from a hotspot center where an epidemic was breaking out. And that was mainly a byproduct of the fact that they were flying a lot of CDC and State Department employees around and, and researchers. And the thought process, Ian, was that Dent said, hey, you know, if one of the uh, researchers got sick... On the field doing research, you know, could we quarantine them? How would we do it, and how would they get back to the state
0: safely? Oh, that's so interesting. And so this is why they're from Georgia. So I wondered what the connection was, and it's because you got the CDC in Atlanta, I guess.
1: Well, the CDC is in Atlanta. This uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is their their long name. And so during the Ebola epidemic, they evacuated a lot of healthcare workers, you know, from West Africa in fact, I photographed some of these uh, coming through Atlanta to Emory University. And, Ian, up here at Frederick, Maryland, you guys saw some activity here as well because of Fort Detrick.
0: Yep, yep. It was a big deal. I remember that.
1: Yeah, so the technology was developed for that on a much smaller scale. And then it was basically sized up to deal with larger containment issues. The first containment system, let me give them a shout out because they helped develop it. They're a medical biological containment system, an ABCS, which is developed and adapted to fit inside a highly modified Gulfstream three business jet. Now Dent said that was all great. They were happy to be there um, and help people out, but it was just one person at one time, one jet, one person. So, if you have a larger scale epidemic like we are seeing right now, you know how would you get more people out? So, they developed a larger module. Basically, it's a forty foot long but eight foot wide and eight foot tall room. It looks like a, a container on the back of a tractor trailer rig,
0: or like a yeah, like a shipping container.
1: Exactly, and you know it's, it's a distinctively painted white, and it slides into a Boeing 747-400. Now, the dash 400 model has a nose that swings out of the way, Ian. Uh, so yeah, that's, okay. The, okay. that's the tie-in for the, this particular model, Boeing. And, the, and this one is called a CBCS, a containerized biocontainment device. And so it, it fits inside this airplane with just about a foot to spare all the way around it in the fuselage. It's just a tight fit. Oh, wow. But it definitely accommodates more people, and so at this point, you know, you can have, you know, a crew inside the containment device, and then you could treat people inside of that. Hmm. So six medical attendants and four patients can fit inside the CBCS, and um, so that's how it got scaled up.
0: Now you wrote that they were they were instrumental in I guess helping to fly out more than eleven hundred people from Wuhan initially. So, you know, they're not fitting them all inside these these containers. So, how, how did that work?
1: Okay, good question, Ian. So, here's the thing. Dent Thompson explained this to me. Wuhan, China, which I didn't know much about before we spoke to him, is a, an industrialized manufacturing center in China. And he said it's, you know, on par with the size of New York City. And I can only equate it to a manufacturing center like something like Pittsburgh, or, you know, where it's, there's a lot of manufacturing going on, and like big machinery, things like that. Well, a lot of American— Companies, U.S. companies, have American citizens overseeing those operations because things are being manufactured in China for use in America. So, the answer to your question is they had five flights uh, and they brought people out. Now, uh, that right at the first, people were um, tested to see if they were infected or not infected. The ones who are not infected had, took a regular seat. The other folks were quarantined and, as need be, they were sequestered into the uh, CBCS containers, but uh, not all of the 1100, certainly not all of the 1100 were infected. In fact, we we read about and heard about 14 of them that when they came back to the United States were basically watched and quarantined and sequestered. Yeah. So a lot of other people were on the aircraft, but they were not in the containerized biocontainment system module.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, one thing I think that, you know, we we haven't seen a ton of chatter on this, but but pilots are, you know, I think starting to think about it a little bit as we as we move into kind of the long term phase of this is you know this disease and this pandemic. You know, airports are collection points, right? People from all over the world collect in these places. We go to airports, big and small. So I'm sure commercial pilots are already thinking about this, and now you know GA pilots. So you know, there are some things that we can do, I think, to to help just a little bit with our aircraft and. And to that end, you exchanged a note with Brent Blue, a a doctor that AOPA has worked with in the past.
1: So AOPA podcast listeners and readers will recognize Brent Blue's name. He's an airline transport-rated pilot with about 9,000 hours of flight time. He's an FAA senior aviation medical examiner. He writes for AOPA Pilot Magazine on occasion and you can sometimes catch him as a safety physician at EAA AirVenture each year. So now just prefacing that with the fact that just as we record this today, Ian, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus COVID-19 a pandemic mm-hmm. today. So that means it's a worldwide problem. But Dr. Blue says, first and foremost, if a pilot's sick for any reason, I mean, you're supposed to do the I am safe thing before you fly anyway, you know, do a self-analysis or the readiness to fly that's the first thing
0: yeah the other thing i think that he mentioned to you is is if a pilot transports a person who is sick so now this is going to be an issue with charters or become sick shortly after a flight wipe down all the interior surfaces of the aircraft including don't forget about this headsets and mics and now those nasty little foam mic covers you can rinse those in 10 percent clorox bleach solution and dry thoroughly and then
1: also, Ian, I'm in a podcast studio and I share a mic with other colleagues. Don't forget to wipe down the underlying mic, you know, with a disinfectant wipe as well. So once you take off that, that fuzz, you know, the little fuzz piece, wipe down the underlying part of it because germs could be harbored there as well.
0: Yep. He also said touchscreens, we can't forget, you know, the new era of uh, GPS navigators with touchscreens, wipe down those screens as well, those are going to be grimy germy places.
1: And I would add on a personal note, Ian, not something Dr. Blue mentioned, but something Dave T mentioned that when you're <laughs> p- when you're paying for your fuel at the pump, and it's self, self-serve self and you're punching those numbers and maybe, you know, take a wet wipe to your hands when you're done with that, too, yep. uh, and wipe your hands off because everyone, uh, people are using those screens. I'll hit you with one more. Since a virus is attracted to lung tissue, if transporting a sick person, they may be more sensitive to altitude than normal. So remember to clean and discard that oxygen mask or cannula.
0: Yep, great points. Okay, so from flying ourselves around to maybe those career pilots who are looking at the airline industry and thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on? We wanted to bring in Carl because hopefully he's got some long-term perspective there, I think, and will calm some fears a little bit. So Carl Valeri, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We've got lots to talk about. First of all, give us a little bit about your background so we can kind of center people as to what to expect.
2: Hi, and it's it's wonderful being here and talking to you again. And uh, it's uh, AOPA has done a great job with uh, getting in front of uh, what we're about to talk about. But for me, uh, I'm an airline pilot. I fly an Airbus A321, both domestically and internationally. I also have a, a business where I uh, do career coaching or career counseling, many people like to talk about. And uh, I do quite a few different podcasts. Aviation Careers Podcast is our big one. And then we do Stuck Mike Avcast, which is a general aviation podcast. And I also am the co-chairman of Sun and Fun Radio, which actually is uh, the live show that we uh, do actually during the show. And also we keep looping all the different content throughout the year. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I do on my days off, which I have a lot of. I actually spend most <laughs> of my days doing the career counseling, you know, as they say with airline pilots, it's the best part-time job in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Beats working. It does.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. So so we want to talk today about what everybody really in the world is talking about, which is the coronavirus. You know, I, I started flying—well, actually, I was in training during nine eleven. I watched, you know, the SARS epidemic and, and now coronavirus. But this one in particular feels like a whiplash that I have never seen. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing stories people were talking about, you know, airlines not even being able to keep up with hiring and and now we're seeing something quite different. So what what
2: is it looking like to you? Well, first of all, this I've had a lot of experience with the background here. One thing I didn't mention is I was also the Airline Pilots Association representative for the furloughed pilots during nine eleven, also also during all the other downturns. As far as this, the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it right now, it actually seems a little bit worse than and it is worse than say 911 because and it's a little more uh, similar to that a uh, 911 type event because this is driven a little bit more by fear than anything else and don't get me wrong it it really i don't want to downplay the virus itself but it's uh, as far as actions being taken it's based on you know basically what you would do for during the flu and people are washing their hands or cleaning airplanes, more that type of thing. But this is a little bit worse. But the airlines, I will say one thing, though, that is a shining light out of all this. Airlines have changed their business model over the past 10 years. They're not just going out there and continuing to add market share. They're really trying to make money and build a fortress of, of money in their bank. And airlines actually have quite a bit of money in the bank much different than during uh, SARS and the other things. But as far as what you're talking about, yes, the demand has precipitously dropped. That's for sure.
0: So what's it like flying line these days? I mean, you know, are people do they do they seem a little more on edge? Is it more kind of business as usual? Just airplanes are a little more empty. I mean, what what are you seeing on a day to day basis?
2: So this is this is evolving incredibly. I'm actually going to do a, an airline trip tomorrow. But a couple things you see different. We've always seen people with masks on. Uh, now that number has gone up dramatically and this is strictly on the airline side, we are seeing more cleaning, we're seeing more materials left on the aircraft to clean, for instance, a wipes and those type of things. We're also seeing <laughs> empty airplanes sometimes. Something that actually just changed uh, in the news yesterday, both in Europe and also in the United States, is the fact that, you know, there's slot restrictions in certain airports, and if you don't fly 80% of those flights, you could actually lose your slot. So a lot of airlines have been flying empty or maybe an airplane flew out 200 passenger airplane with two people in it. So that's actually changed. Now the government's giving some leeway there saying, Hey, listen, during this crisis, we're going to stop doing that. But the one thing that you are seeing too is remember you're seeing less and less people fly, but also uh, less and less employees come into work because the airlines are telling people, listen, if you're sick, stay at home. So I hate to say this, but there's a lot of people that go to work even partially sick and because they can't afford or don't want to use their sick time, uh, they're telling them, hey, you, you need to stay at home. Another thing they're getting in front of this with is allowing people if they've been quarantined, because remember, there's there's something that's you know really tough for those airline employees. You've been quarantined. Now you have to use two weeks of of sick time. So now they're telling people, hey, we'll let you use some of your vacation time, say your time off your sick time off in the your future that you're about to gain. We're gonna let you use that also. So that's one thing that they're they're getting in front of it. also they're uh you know doing leaves of absence but from a from a passenger standpoint, you're seeing a lot of uh, differences. people are wiping things down. they're being a little more vigilant as far as cleaning. So the Starbucks line at
0: uh you know at the airport at six in the morning is. A heck of a lot shorter than it used to be, I guess. Is Did, that the, I tell you, is that the I, idea? I'm
2: not so sure about <laughs> that. I actually, I had to go to the other, um, I won't mention the other brand, but somewhere else to get my coffee in the morning because Starbucks was so long. For some reason, Starbucks is still pretty long. I do notice one thing, not everybody's pushing up against each other. So there's a little bit of a difference. Ah, yes. There you go. <laughs> the there line's go. longer, yeah. but it's the same number of yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. People need their comfort, I guess, right? But, yeah. but you're right about that. I will say one thing, uh, flying through, uh, let's see, where was I? In Puerto Rico and San Juan. I mean, half the airport was empty. Uh, Shops have been shut down. There's been restaurants that aren't opening, that type of thing. So that is actually, you're right about that. You're seeing uh, less and less people at some of those shops. Hmm. So get out your crystal ball for a
0: minute, because I want to talk first business side, and then we'll get into the career side. But from a business standpoint, this is obviously changing rapidly. You know, just last night was announced that the Europe travel restrictions for the next 30 days. So, what do you see from an airline business side? What do you think is going to change over the next couple weeks in terms of do you think we'll see more majors parking airplanes? Do you think Do you think we're going to see any others go under? I mean, I know Flybe in Europe said they blamed coronavirus a little bit. Do, do you think we'll see some more of that?
2: Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. And uh, I hate to say this, we might even see some furloughs. Before a furlough happens, first I should explain a furlough is a leave of absence. As far as the airlines are concerned, it's an involuntary leave of absence in that context. But uh, you're gonna see more people being asked to stay at home. We are gonna see some more failures. But you know, with that said, we've seen some furloughs in the past, and we've seen them in the past few years. We just haven't seen them in the news because they've been so small, the airlines. Flybee, who I partnered with when I was actually the rep for United Express. I, you know, we they gave us quite a few jobs. It's the people that are getting hit the hardest, and uh they're the ones that are the ones that aren't quite as financially stable. Now looking at a flybee. You see, uh, that's a great example, and you're seeing a lot of other airlines jumping into the routes that they're leaving behind. So there's a lot of backfill there, but it's uh, it's happening, but it's uh, happening slowly. So there's this momentum that's happening. So we have this this shortage of folks out there, and the, and they're jumping in there, and shortage of pilots. But that momentum can end fairly quickly. And I think in my crystal ball, I think you you're going to see, and you are seeing the parking of airplanes. It's not it's happening right now. Uh, you know, being full disclosure, most of, you know, my income comes from the stock market and comes from trading. And, and I watch all these things and watch what's happening. And this is, is something that's evolving day by day. And we are in reports coming out today that they're parking air, certain types of airplane. Now, here's another interesting thing that people don't think about. Say, for instance, you fly a triple seven and those routes that those triple sevens are on, International are now being cut, so they're going to ask you, hey, can you take a leave of absence, or can you maybe take some time off, because we want to park these airplanes. By parking those airplanes, two things happen. Number one, they save money. If it's paid time off or unpaid time off, they save salaries unpaid. They also save on fuel. Fuel prices have come down and also when they don't fly, the amount of fuel that they purchase goes down. So there's certain costs that are involved just for flying that airplane that they're saving on. So it's very, very dynamic. And the effect on the on the balance sheet and on the cash flow is something you have to look at very carefully. Uh, but we are seeing that already. And I think we're going to see some more. Yes.
0: So you mentioned it being a, a bit like a 9-11 event. And of course, that was, you know, that was dark days mm. for airline pilots. Many were on furlough. As you mentioned, hiring was virtually stopped for many years. And and even if you weren't on furlough, many airlines, uh, pilots were asked to give concessions, whether it was pay or, or, you know, retirement or whatever. So do you think that before this is over, we'll see bigger furloughs and, and also pilots
2: having to make some bigger concessions? Yeah. So the first thing we're going to see, we haven't seen the furloughs yet, but we will see, well, we have seen smaller airlines, but that's different. Those are just financial issues individually. And a lot of those have shut down anyway. But yes, I think we're going to see what has to happen, especially if they have a an agreement with a, a collective bargaining agreement. Normally, you'll see the company has to come to these people and say, will you take a leave of absence, please? A good example is uh, airlines member Envoy or American Eagle. They ask people to go on leaves of absence. You know, I have friends that they were on leave of absence so long, they got law degrees, MBAs, other masters while they're on leave. So it affects people differently. But yes, we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more of that coming up uh, soon before the word furlough comes up. That's a, a bad word when it's when you're talking to an airline pilot because that means that you're going to have to leave, and you're not being you know—we're not asking you now. You know, it's an involuntary leave of absence. The word we use, by the way, is called a cola in most airlines. It's company offered leave of absence, uh, and not cost of living advancement. It's—it's a, it's a little bit different to cola. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that in our in our world, it's a, a lot of people think about cola, and uh, we so we use a little different terms. But that's going to, and that's happening already. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, and you're seeing that also non-essential quote unquote employees are asking to. You know, go on leave or uh, possibly uh, be on furlough or, or laid off. That's actually happening too. Some layoffs.
0: Mm. There's been a little bit of I, I would say speculation, and not maybe maybe not real concrete talk yet about stimulus for the airlines, in terms of you know whatever it might be, tax breaks, you know straight bailouts, whatever. And I know the airline CEOs have said, no, no, we're not asking for that now. What do you think? Is it going to come to that? Do you, do you think the, the airlines
2: will get some uh, some help from the government? So they already have in the slot restrictions a little bit there. Sure. Uh, and that's sure. one thing, number one right there. They don't want to ask right now because usually when you do have that stimulus, there's a lot of strings attached. They don't really need it right now, but that could happen in the future. And each of the, if you listen carefully to all the CEOs at the airlines, they're, they're saying, you know, we don't need it now, but could it happen? Yes, it could, depending on how deep this goes. And that's really important. But going, you know, and also as far as stimulus for keeping people employed, you know, you hear that from the president a lot. We want to keep people, you know, on payrolls and that type of thing. We're postponing certain things like paying your taxes, et cetera that's quite important. Because remember this, if you look at, let's use Delta Airlines as example, they're hiring, what, about 1,400 people, and they have about 14,000 this year in total employees. If most furloughs are about 10 to 20% of the employee workforce, if, you know, during any of these recessions, that's just kind of looking backwards historically. If you see a 10% to 20% reduction, you're going to see no hiring for about two years. But with all that said, Another thing that happens because airline pilots wound up making a lot of money, they have a lot of money saved up. They, a lot of times when they do go on furlough, they don't come back. So some of the numbers are skewed. You have to look at the, and I like to do a deep dive into those numbers where you'll see people on furlough, but those people on furlough are actually doing other flying jobs or have other jobs and they're making income. It's the ones that are on furlough like you discussed in, you know, nine 11, like myself, who was on the street for years, just trying to to pay the bills uh and and going from one job to next those are the people that are affected the most
0: yeah absolutely okay now for you you've touched on this briefly but with hiring you know flight schools have been i mean you look at the gamma numbers they're ordering airplanes flight schools are just packed there's waits for dpes i i mean the numbers are going up so clearly the flight training industry is doing fantastically well and has been uh in recent history so how is this going to impact on a wide scale hiring? And, and more importantly, for somebody who's sitting there in flight school today and hasn't seen this sort of thing before and is, is starting to freak out a bit, what advice do you have for them?
2: First of all, don't freak out, start planning, take action um, that's the worst thing you can do is let it stew in your mind. you know start planning on what you're going to do, save money, keep your situation the way it is if you're still in school, you're living with family friends, etc you know you may not want to move far across the country where you have to rent your own apartment so so start doing some more planning as far as the numbers is going forward with flight schools and you know I'm not commenting on any flight schools that I'm associated with, just ones that I've gone around and asked. Questions of especially the what's called the academies. I think we're talking more in that realm where by academies, meaning that they're specifically moving towards airline jobs. There has been, as far as future enrollments, a drop. And to me personally, I think that's the wrong thing to do because remember this if you're going to school and there's a recession that school, you know, once you get out of school that recession will probably be over because it takes you so many years, 3 years to 5 years to get to that airline job. You know, this could be well over and we could be rebounding, which we've seen happen and this happens over and over and over again. And this is one of the most frustrating things with my job as the furlough rep is the fact that You know when it when things aren't aren't going well for the rest of industry and you're in the mode of learning you need to stick with it so i as far as the schools are concerned yes the ones that are the academies are seeing a, a more of a drop the ones that are more recreational like the kind of flying i do on my days off you know owning a little cherokee they're not getting hit as hard as the other ones but there's still jobs out there there again there's momentum and we're seeing still a shortage but that could actually slow down fairly quickly And what you need to do, and this is the advice I'd like to give everybody, is work as hard as you can to be the best instructor out there. If you're in the top 10%, there's room for you somewhere. As you look into jobs as far as flight instructing and other flying, make yourself more marketable. Get the multi-engine instructor, the CFII, if you're thinking about doing that. Go out there, start marketing yourself towards, you know, different corporations doing, you know, flying their King air, like a third pilot on a two pilot crew, meaning you're the extra pilot that they use every so often. Those are the things you need to do. I will say one thing that I've seen as far as hiring is concerned, and this concerns me is that, you know, I do interviews, right? And a lot of times during the interview, the person across the table is like, Hey, what are you going to give me? Well, you need to change that attitude because now it's the other way around. Remember that never was like that. Uh, So it's time to start really putting on your, put the marketing to it. And uh, as far as hopefully that's answered your question from both sides, from the flight school side and also from, from the student pilots perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so if I, I guess if I were to sum that up, it's like kind of like your stock market investments, it's like, stay the course, And, you know, ride out the long term. And I I think you made a really interesting point there at the end, which is that it's not necessarily a buyer's market anymore. And so you have to you have to change your thinking just a little
2: bit. Right. Right. In certain schools, it is in certain schools, It's all it's specific to that school. So, for instance, if you're at a school where they have a very, you know, great program that everybody wants to get into, then you won't see quite the drop there. Also, if their cost structure is so low, a lot of these state schools are still seeing people pour into there. As a matter of fact, that's actually kind of interesting too, uh, is that you're seeing, uh, you know, it's very, it's more nuanced, obviously. You're seeing a little bit more pouring into the state schools because some of these private schools are such, so much more expensive. So that's one of the things you might want to look at.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. And now uh, what about that Cherokee? What, what about GA when you're going to... <laughs> to, you know, all the little local airports. Um, what, I mean, it's still early days, I would say, but um, what, do you, what are you seeing?
2: Well, this is a boost to GA. I mean, we were just, we were talking about this the other day. All my friend, I was out uh, with my airplane yesterday. I had to move the plane and go get some gas because we are doing a cross country this morning. I uh, have to go get a radio. And one of the things, I'm, I'm based here in, in Lakeland, Florida, and one of the things I saw was a lot of flying happening because, remember, a lot of what they talk about is social distancing, etc. are other way is better than to social distancing than getting in your own airplane by yourself flying somewhere as far as GA is concerned, you're going to see a lot more. This has been a big boost uh, following that industry also, by the way, it's a big, big boost to some of the corporate or some of the the part 135 carriers. It's just like the limo drivers. I mean, they are marketing like crazy right now saying, Hey, listen, we're not like the other companies out there that you share rides. You know, we're going to clean the, the limo. We're going to clean your corporate jet so that it's that you don't have to worry about getting these viruses. So you're I'm seeing a little uptick at, at the airport, but I think that's just because the season's getting nicer here. But I think uh, I think we're going to see a definite a positive impact there. The negative impact, though, is on discretionary spending. Remember, this is discretionary spending for many people, most people, and we're going to see a little downturn there because people won't have as much money. This is a global economy. This is an economy that can be affected by something like this. Even GA can be affected by what's happening to the rest of the world with a virus, even though it's the way you want to go if you want to travel. Yeah, yeah. So let me put you on the spot. You mentioned Sun and Fun, and and your association with Sun and Fun
0: Radio. So there's been a lot of talk about Sun and Fun because obviously events all over the world are being canceled. Friedrichshafen in Germany, same time as Sun and Fun was was postponed. So Sun and Fun is is strenuously said it is going on. Do you think they'll stay the course? Do you think it's going
2: to end up happening? Currently, I think they're going to stay the course. That's evolving. There's no absolutes, but I will say one thing. I know we will be there for Sun and Fun Radio because we don't need people around to be able to talk on Sun and Fun Radio. That's not totally true. <laughs> we have interviews. I will say one thing about that, just as a positive note, our bookings for the radio station have gone through the roof lately. Hmm. Uh, we are getting people booking slots all day long. I know AOPA has uh, lunch with AOPA every day. Those slots are filled and and one of the reasons being is that of course this is a situation where we're on the radio and we're discussing airplanes the expo the air show can go on again that whole social distancing you can be far away but yes we're it's still they're still holding the course will that change maybe as far as the official stance they're telling us yes we're going to still have this i will say one thing though that i know from from my perspective I've actually, because I MC a few things. I've actually been asked. Well, they're canceling some of the events that are there for some of the vendors, like lunches, big lunches, tents, and things like that. Have uh, said, hey, listen, we don't need you to do the MC because we're not having it. Uh, so you are seeing the effect there. It's definitely affecting uh, Son of a. But will they? Will they change the course? You know, it, it really it's it's a big event and it, it raises a lot of money for them every year. It's going to be tough on them, but uh, but maybe you know I. Again, we can't predict that now, but uh, yes, they're going to stay the course so far, and that—and I have seen no indication from anybody at Son of Hunt, You know, uh, opposite of that. It's still we're still staying the course.
0: Okay, great, great. Well, Carl, thanks so much for uh, spending time with us and giving us insight there. Give us the uh, the podcast again,
2: so people can check you out. Well, and thanks so much. I think you guys are doing a great job at AOPA. Just a shout out. I've been a member for many years, and uh, this is an, a, a really great. Uh, service that you do for the whole industry at AOPA, especially for me as an aircraft owner, and I glean a lot of knowledge from that. Of course, you can listen to me on Aviation Careers Podcast. And uh, we actually are an inspirational, informational, and transparent podcast about aviation careers. Obviously, Stuck Mike Avcast, that's a general aviation podcast. You know, us and the crew, we go and help run the radio station at, at Sun and Fun each year. And, uh, and, of course, on YouTube, expertaviator.com. We started doing videos again. But, uh, yeah, I'm out there. If you see me at, at Lakeland, say hi to me. I'd love to say hi to everybody I can. Even if I'm on the radio, I'll, I'll take time away and say hello to everybody that comes out there. And, Ian, I hope to see you there.
0: Fantastic. Okay.
2: Thanks, Carl. Well, thank you.